Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Before we get started, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, linked in the description below. We hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, everyone. This is Rory Bellina and special guest today, Chris Martin in the studio. Today's topic is going to be a part one of a three-part series on the OSHA uh, mandates that have been coming out on vaccines. There's one for private employers, there's one for federal uh, contractors, and there's one under CMS for healthcare. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us and thank you for taking a deep dive into this and, and being able to talk with us about it. Glad to be here, Rory. Thank you. Thank you. So, Chris, why don't you tell our listeners, I think this is the first time you've been on, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, and then we'll we'll jump into today's topic. Sure. I'm a uh, healthcare lawyer here at Shahardi Sherman, uh, board certified, as is Rory recently. Thank you. Um, and uh, we do a lot of regulatory and compliance work in that space and have gotten a lot of inquiries about these mandatory vaccines from our clients. And so we thought we would try to educate ourselves and the clients a bit more on the nuances and details of these hundreds and hundreds of pages of new regulations. Sure. And and from what I understand, and, and I think what we're all looking at is there's there's three of these, right? There's one for private employers, contractors, and then um, CMS healthcare workers. Can you give us like a, a brief synopsis of what this three-part series is going to look like for us? Sure. Today, we're going to talk about the OSHA uh, private employer um, mandate, which applies to any private employer in the United States with more than 100 full-time or part-time employees. The second or, or the other, the next uh, one will be probably on the CMS right. um, vaccine mandate, which applies to any health care providers who are certified uh, or who take Medicare or Medicaid, as a, and it's going to be a condition of participation. So it's a very powerful um, enforcement mechanism by CMS. So it'll apply to almost any kind of health care provider except probably a physician office. Wow. Um, and then the third one is the federal contract, federal, if you're a federal contractor with the government, that's the third um, mandate. Okay. I mean, these are that's great, and I think you mentioned, you know, I've gotten a few calls. I know you've been busy on this as well. Um, it seems that the two big buckets that we're facing right now are the private employers with a hundred or more employees, like you mentioned, and then and then healthcare. So let's just jump right into it. I know you've done extensive research on this, and and the private employer one especially because that seems to capture kind of a lot of the working force, but why don't you tell us a little bit about maybe the the, the concept behind, you know, what the, the federal government's trying to accomplish and, and, and this first bucket that they're that they're kind of um, targeting per se. Sure. So as you know, OSHA regulates safety in the workplace. And this this new mandate is really um, uh, comes out of OSHA's authority to um, regulate those circumstances where there's a grave danger to worker safety and the government has decided that the covid uh, virus is such a grave danger that uh, permits osha to regulate 
in this manner. And Conrad and I did an episode about this a few, probably a month or so ago, when this was all kind of in a an interim rule and it wasn't finalized. But this, if correct me if I'm wrong, this is the final rule that is is finalized now, and it's it's going to go into effect. It it is in effect. It it went into effect November the fifth. Okay, it's so a, few, a week ago. A week okay. ago, the Fifth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals within days stayed it, okay. halted its enforcement, citing, I think they said, grave constitutional issues. Um, so right now it is not in effect, but it did go into effect on November the 5th. I think one point to make is it's a temporary rule. It expires in six months unless there's a permanent rule that replaces it. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So it's only for six months and that, that clock starts, I believe you said on November 5th. 5th. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested and I think our, our listeners are interested is we're kind of going to go over the basics and then get into some of the more of the detailed questions. But let's start with the, the most important one, I think, is who does this apply to? So it applies to any private employer in the United States, any private employer. could be a law firm, could be a trucking company could be uh, any, as we said, private employer with over 100 employees. They count 100 employees to include full-time or part-time employees. They don't count independent contractors. So if you have a vendor who you don't employ as a W-2 employee, they don't count. And I read also that they also don't count, I believe they, do they do or they don't count seasonal or temp employees? They do count temp employees. Okay. They don't count uh, remote employees. I so see. employees who never come into the office. Um, the, the example they used was, or, or employees who work exclusively outdoors. I think they cited the landscaping company okay. as an example. But even that landscaping company, if they were to have a meeting of all the landscapers inside their office, then that disqualifies wow. that wow. that quote outdoor employee because they're not exclusively outdoor. So this really is going to capture millions of Americans yes. under under this scope. And we mentioned two dates. The first one was November fifth, and then I also was reading December fifth. Um, the December fifth seems like a big date. Uh, also as well can you go into a little bit of detail of what has to be done for our listeners by december 5th sure by december 5th 2021 an a private employer has to have established a vaccination policy written policy that has, that and the requirements for that are the employers have to report positive covid19 tests they have to remove um positive covid19 employees those employees who have tested positive for COVID-19 from the workplace. And they, um, they have to provide the employees with certain information about this emergency temporary standard and policies and procedures and um, uh, also protections against retaliation. Um, and interestingly, they have to provide the employee with information about criminal penalties that may apply if an employee lies wow wow about or or produces false documentation so we're talking we've said now november 5th which is when 
this kind of the the first date, and then we talked. We said December fifth, and then there's a third date, January fourth, and I believe that has to do with the vaccination or test policy, where these employers have to have that in place. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so the, a very short turnaround time because, like you said, this just came out as a, as a final rule per se. Although it's an emergency rule, this just came out a week ago, and employers have to have this policy in place by December fifth, and then their testing policy in place by and start testing by January fourth. Yes. Okay. Um, so, the big picture here, Rory, is OSHA is saying either get your employee base tested and and we'll go into more of exactly sure. what that means um get your employee base vaccinated or if they're not going to be vaccinated they have to be tested at least weekly wow wow okay so you don't have to have your employee base vaccinated fully if you don't choose to do that you then have to test them at least weekly that's going to be a lot of testing if you have a lot of employees. Yeah, it, it really does sound like it. And, and I know you mentioned kind of who it who it includes and who it doesn't. I think that's going to be a very spac. I'm sorry, fact specific question for our clients is if they want to know, you know, do I meet the hundred or not? I think it, it's going to take a lot of review to see because you said it was full time employees, part time, not independent contractor. But then it does include it, it, it. There's some discrepancies on temp employees, or, or you know whether they're inside or outside. I read that franchisees are not included in the whole umbrella. There are if you have a corporation with numerous kind of sub corporations under your umbrella. There's questions regarding does it how does that count? And so, just the the the, the big thing is does this apply to me or not? Right. I think that's 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 a complicated question in itself, and you really only have you know, two or three weeks to figure that out because you have to have this policy in place or else theoretically you could be fined by OSHA. Is that, that's correct? That's right. Okay. One of the issues is say, if I have a company that has 90 employees right now, but I may be hiring 10 more. Yeah. For the holiday season or you're ramping up or, or, or just turnover. So the, the, um, the rule says if at any time while this ETS is in force, in, in effect, which is for the next, well, at least six months. If at any time you reach that 100 threshold, and, and even if you then, if you reach the 100 threshold and then went back down below 100, you still come under the reach of this mandate. Because if at any time during those six months you hit that 100 mark, you're in. So at that time, you have to follow this you have to get your policies yes. procedures everything in place and once you're in you're in really so, so if you hit that hundred employee mark and then lay off 50 employees you're still you're in, in. wow wow which, which is pretty um well, important let's let's talk first i guess maybe we could break this up in, into some, some segments for our listeners let's talk about because it seems that the the goal of this policy is vaccination and testing is that is that a fair assumption of of what the intent is yeah that they're saying this is the mechanism to keep our workforce safe okay is vaccination and testing okay um um and so remember this is an osha requirement osha is about workplace safety right and so um you know as an aside i was talking to a lawyer yesterday who is a 
does a lot of OSHA work, and she was saying OSHA only has like 3,000 federal inspectors in the whole country. And, it, you know, going into workplaces with under the broad scope sure. of this mandate – those three thousand inspectors are going to be really busy. Sure, I, I don't. Over the I next, don't know over the next six months how they could they could accomplish that. But that's that'll be for another. That'll be for them to figure out. Right. As long as as we advise our clients to comply. So, you know, I, I think we've kind of covered who it does, and it, it, it seems like it's very employer specific on whether you fall into fall into it or not. But let's talk about the first bucket of your vaccinated employees what does osha consider as vaccinated from what i've understood they consider they're not considering a requirement for boosters meaning if you've received two of pfizer or moderna or one of johnson and johnson you're considered vaccinated they're not going to make you um, get a booster to be considered that also read that that there's there's going to be some strict requirements on the employers as far as what they're going to have to do to verify your vaccination. Yes. Yes, the employer has to keep a roster of all employees and their vaccination status. And um, so if OSHA comes into your workplace, the first, the first things they're going to want to see is, let me see your policy and let me see your records on 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 who's vaccinated and who's not so it's going to be a lot more record keeping sure and and these and these vaccination records rory are medical records so they're not they're not something that again i definitely want to get into that but that's some that's a whole other area of concern that employers maybe have never dealt with before i mean Unless you're in the the healthcare field or something that that requires you to ask your employees about their medical records, this is something that could be brand new to someone in HR or or a company that doesn't even have an HR department trying to figure out what to do with these. And and you mentioned the example of OSHA walking in. So the first thing, you know, this would be a worst case for for everyone, but assuming that, 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 that OSHA walked in, they're going to want to see your policies and procedures, your vaccination efficacy, safety. And ben- I mean, they're going to want to see a lot of things. But but it seems that on a very short timeline, uh, December fifth, that's when they're going to that's when they're going to want to see these documents. Now, for the vaccinations, what are they accepting as proof of vaccination? Is it is it the card? Or are employers allowed to? Um, look at in Louisiana, we have the health wallet app where mm-hmm. you could see on an app if they're vaccinated. I mean, I assume they're going to, you know, accept those. I was just curious, you know, how far do, is a company going to have to go to verify all of their employees are vaccinated? Well, uh, pretty far. Um, the The acceptable proof of vaccination includes a record of immunization from a health care provider or a pharmacy. So that would probably be your your little white COVID card, right? I think LA Wallet would qualify. A copy um, of of medical records. You could produce a medical record saying here's where it shows I've been vaccinated. A copy of immunization records from public health or state uh, immunization uh, information system. So the state keeps records. You could access those, or. Um, uh, any other kind of official documentation from a health care provider. Um, um, if, if, the, if the employer or the employee can't prove, 
proof of vaccination. The employer has to assume they're not vaccinated. Really? Mm-hmm. And then they would fall under the second category of masking and, and, and testing, testing, correct? Which we're, we're going to get to later in this episode. So your HR employee, your HR person or someone on the, on the higher level is going to have to start checking all this, right? And, yeah. and storing this information, making some sort of spreadsheet, I guess, and, and keep it kind of rolling to, as you hire people and fire people? No, that's right. That's right. So, I mean, you know, there's, from a practical standpoint, we really don't exactly know how this is going to play out. But, you know, the, the, the easiest way, obviously, would be to have your entire workforce vaccinated. Sure, that'd be the easiest, I mean, right? From a, from an employer standpoint, that would be best case for for the employer because then they're done with this. They're personally. done. You don't have to do weekly testing. You don't have to have wearing face coverings. That's a pretty onerous. That's a hundred percent compliance. Right, right. That's that's one one method. Another approach that an employer could take is to say, "I'm not going to push this." mandate a vaccination on my employees because maybe too many of them will quit or decide to retire. So I'm going to set up at the front door or as they walk in every day testing, and I will just test the heck out of every employee once a week. So let's get let's jump right into that because that that sounds more onerous and, and there's obviously reasons and expensive. Why, yes why people do and, and don't want to get vaccinated and that's a we've talked about that on numerous episodes. Let's get into okay so we've got the bucket of employees that that aren't vaccinated. So what does OSHA require under this private employer mandate for employees that are that, that fall into the category mm-hmm. but that are not vaccinated? So those they those individuals have to be tested weekly, weekly, weekly at a, at a minimum of seven days. And what every kind seven of days? What kind of test does OSHA accept? So OSHA in their regulations they have a list of of tests that are acceptable, which I presume are they have to be FDA approved. And and I I read this that there's some discrepancy on. Will they accept at-home tests? And it's also, I believe, the burden of the employer to um, verify that an employee, if they do take an at-home test, that it it's accurate, that it that it was negative. That you know, if ultimately they found out that the employee says that they're taking an at-home test and it's negative and it's not, they could still hold that employer liable for that. Yes. Um. Let me see if I can find the specific provision because one of the one of the testing requirements, Rory, is that 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 if if the employee is going to self administer a test, it has to be quote proctored, proctored by the employer. So really? what does that mean exactly? So if I'm an employee that's not vaccinated and. I fall under this weekly testing, I would either have to go to a facility and I would obviously get an official result. Most of them are coming through email that I could provide to my employer, or I would have to go to the workplace and do a nasal swab in front of someone and and make them wait and watch for the results with me. Or yes, or over telehealth, you could do it over zoom and the employer has to watch the employee swab their nostrils and actually witness the test being administered. 
but what are the i mean i could think of a, a ton off the top of my hand but the, just the burden involved and the time expense resources some companies might have to hire someone as their covid person essentially sure. for lack of a better term just to a big company at least just to be in charge or, or outsource it or contract with someone to come in on every monday and do this this seems to be i, I we understand the government's intent but this seems to be a lot for employers that are not prepared for this absolutely and that don't have policies in place absolutely what what osha is concerned about is they won't allow a self-administered self-read test interesting unless it's observed by the employer or the the, the quote they use is other authorized telehealth proctor interesting okay yeah. and i also read on the on the testing side that an employer, an employer may pass the costs off of testing along with the employee unless there's a state regulation that says that you that you can't. I mean, I, I know that a lot of these facilities that are doing testing, it's free or low cost based on, you know, where you go. The at-home tests, I know, are, are $20, $30 each to have to do this for every employee every week. I mean, this could become a huge burden for companies. Do you think that the... I know we're trying to speculate, but do you think that OSHA's intent or one of their intents maybe is to make this so burdensome to push more people to get vaccinated? Yes, okay. I think that's a good point. I think I think OSHA's trying to say if you are not going to have your employee base vaccinated, we are going to make you jump through a number of hoops. And spend a lot of money spend and a time. Lot of money and time to do an alternative that we think will be sufficient to keep your workforce safe. So this is almost the, the carrot and the stick approach of we'll give you the carrot for the vaccination, but kind of the stick, unfortunately, yeah. for, the, for, the, for the testing side. And, and I also read, which I think is very interesting, and I think a lot of our clients want to know is, what, what does this policy say about vaccinations and testing and pay time off or sick time off? So you made a point that the, the ETS, the, this mandate, does not require the employer to pay for the cost of the test. But we can get into, we need to talk before the end of this about the exemptions, okay. the, the medical yes, and definitely. religious exemption. But um, the employer under this mandate has to provide at least f up to four hours of paid time off to be tested. Wow. So, so okay. is, that, is that four hours every week? Right. And then... If, if the employee has an adverse reaction to the vaccine and has to miss work, okay. the employer, it's interesting, they don't have to pay for that time off, but they can, they can make the employee use their PTO, their paid time off or their sick leave. So up to four hours to on get the, vaccinated? On the, on the front end. To get vaccinated. And then if you have an adverse reaction... They have to give you time off, but it seems it's unclear, or yeah. they, they might have to um, allow you allow you this time off, but they could dock your saved PTO. Yes, and it, there's it's a little unclear because we we may be waiting for some more guidance, but it may be as much as up to two days. Really, off if you have an adverse reaction to the vaccine. Wow, wow, that, that I mean that again. I'm I'm, I'm just thinking of. The, the person that sits in HR, uh, you know, a one-man or one-woman show who's used to dealing with, you know, not this, and now their head's going to explode because they're <laughs> going to have this spreadsheet and, you know, Chris is va uh, you know Chris is not vaccinated, so we have to test him every Tuesday and we have to test Rory every 
Thursday, and but but Conrad is vaccinated, so he's good. I mean, it it seems to be you're going to have you know colored cells. I could just I could just imagine yeah. the administrative hassles that are going to go involved. This is going to be a full time job for someone. Yeah, and that's one reason OSHA picked the hundred employee threshold. I was curious about that. Was because the thinking was just as you said. And by the way, I am vaccinated. I am too. Just for the <laughs> for the audience. Um, but the the thinking was if you're if you have an employee base of at least a hundred, you're going to have sufficient resources to meet these requirements. But that companies below a hundred, it might be a a real burden. Okay, so they're not they don't want to crush these the small smaller operations that you know can kind of administer this on their own. But for the bigger ones, they're putting this in the place. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Well, I think it's really interesting that, like you said, there. To get vaccinated, they have to, they can give you up to four hours of paid time for your vaccination and reasonable time and paid sick leave to recover. But for testing, not a paid time off requirement. That that that's very interesting to me. That they're gonna they're gonna they're again they're incentivizing you to get vaccinated. I think yes. that, I think that we keep going back to that. That's the goal. Yeah. So, what's the other part? If you're not vaccinated, you gotta get these testing masks still. You, if you're not vaccinated, you have to have weekly, you have to have testing a minimum seven at once every seven days, and you have to wear a face covering while you're in indoors. And they have pages of definitions of what a face covering is. And that's regardless of the state that you're in, because for most of our listeners in Louisiana, but, but depending on which state you're in, Louisiana recently lifted their mask mandate, but this is going to... This preempts. This is going to preempt that. Yes. Okay. That's one of the... The basis of this whole regulation is that this is a federal regulation under the supremacy clause of the Constitution, and it preempts any state or local ordinance that contradicts it. So this is almost another another stick that if mm-hmm. you know so many people were were split on wearing masks and look, I, I wore mine. I didn't enjoy wearing it. It was a pain. I would forget it all the time, or it was dirty or drop on the ground, or I, I just didn't like wearing it. But I did it even though I was vaccinated. So this is another kind of stick, per se, that, that OSHA is is putting out there for people that aren't vaccinated? Correct. Wow. Correct. Okay. Okay. You want to talk about the medical and religious? I do. I do. Absolutely. So, and this is medical and religious. I believe it, they qualified under both, under getting the vaccination and testing. I think there's some, you can have some exemptions against testing as well. Yeah. Let's talk about the vaccine sure. first. Yes, so, please. So under, there are, um, they, the, the mandate does provide exemptions for employees if they um, have a, a legitimate medical reason to request accommodation from the employee or if they have um, a, a religious accommodation. So the first, the medical accommodation is under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Okay. So for you HR folks out there, if the medical exemption has to be handled just like any other disability accommodation that you would be handling. And um, and so there's an analysis that you can go through. We can help you uh, with that analysis. Because I know that's a very complicated kind of analysis on, on, on medical exemptions. Yes. And that's under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And we don't have time to go through all the nuances of that, but... Maybe that that's probably a whole podcast in and of sure, itself. Sure, sure. Um, the religious exemption is under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, 
and and um, so there's specific procedures on how the employer, if the employer is presented with one of these accommodations, what they, they have to provide forms for the employee. They have, to, and then there's a sort of a due diligence analysis that they have to do to make sure these these uh, requests are legitimate. So um, let's assume that someone does have a legitimate medical or religious request exemption, however it's classified. What happens then? Are they, what are they required to do or not to at that point for, for getting vaccinated? So the big picture is generally if it's a legitimate medical um, request, the under the uh, um, Americans with Disabilities Act, the employer has to evaluate and determine whether the employee is entitled to, quote, reasonable accommodation. Okay. And so um, th- what – so, so they have to go through that analysis. Um, Are they required to get weekly tested and wear a mask? That that could be the reasonable accommodation if the employee has is allergic to the vaccine. Sure. So the the, the medical um, accommodation doesn't doesn't exempt the employer from having to do anything if 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 the if the medical exemption precludes that employee from getting the vaccine the reason they still have to test i see so even if you've got an exemption against the vaccination or getting vaccinated you still would have to get tested and i assume you're probably going to still have to wear the mask yes unless there's one nuance there unless that medical exemption also applied to the test or the mask for okay some, for some reason so you would have to have something really okay very very thorough that would cover a a serious medical accommodation or religious accommodation to cover all three but it sounds like like you mentioned i know i've had a client reach out to me that had an an allergy issue and and was successful in getting a medical exemption from the vaccines um but that client is required to wear a mask right and so i assume that this is you know this is going to be the same way which you know again is is just another Another thing that, you know, someone in, in HR is going to have to deal with as far as, you know, making sure that that person does have is wearing a mask properly. And, and we can help with um, with the client in trying to come up with some reasonable accommodations, because those accommodations could be you move the employee to a different site where they sure. it's more remote. You um, some a drastic one would be you put them on medical leave sure um, and so there's a there's a some range of options that that you can uh use um to 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 reach that medical accommodation and one um, thing interesting that i've read in the ets is that it does not provide any exemptions to the requirements based on natural immunity or the presence of antibodies so they're very strict on on what they're going to allow. Now, I did read that they are going to allow that if you did have COVID within the past 90 days, that there was going to be, I believe that would be that would have been an allowance under not being vaccinated, but then the clock would start over. Right. So again, I keep going back to my example of the, the poor HR person sitting in their office. This is a lot. It is. It, it's a it's it's a lot, and you know I think we've covered kind of the big basics, and and you know, obviously if anyone has any questions, they could contact us. But I like to kind of spend the last few minutes of our show just talking about what your what your thoughts are on 
a from a, from a healthcare compliance and you know bringing in kind of the, the healthcare side of this or the patient or really employee privacy side of this. I mean, what effects do you see this having on employers? You know, kind of just big picture. Well, as you mentioned earlier. Um, there's a lot of industries that the employer is not used to delving into the medical condition of their employee. Now, that employer has got to basically keep medical records of each employee. Which they've probably never done or aren't set up to do securely. Right. And, and it has to be accurate. It has to be current. And as you said, it's going to change. It's dynamic. It's going to be changing perhaps every week. For those that aren't vaccinated. Right, because some people are on the Monday testing schedule. Some people are on the Wednesday. You know, that that's a lot. You know, a couple of hospital systems here in Louisiana that I'm familiar with, um, on their name badges, they have a, a sticker. Now, it's, it's different for hospitals, and we're going to talk about that in our next episode because they're requiring it. But, you know, are, are these employers going to reach a point where they're going to have to mark you know, kind of, you know, you know, Chris, here's your sticker that you're vaccinated. So I know that you don't have to wear a mask, but, you know, John is unvaccinated and he's supposed to be tested on Friday. So he's got a red sticker and that means with a star. So that means that red means unvaccinated and star means he should be wearing a mask. I mean, are these things that companies are going to have to do? Yeah, I think that's I think those are good questions and we don't really know the answers to because you still have HIPAA. That's what I, that's what I was <laughs> thinking. You know, I put back on my I, I, I take off my HR hat, which I really don't have, but I take that off and go back to healthcare side. Now, how are you going to you have to delineate this and now everyone's going to know what red stickers mean unvaccinated and, and gold and a star means he has to be wearing a mask. I mean, you're telling everyone in the workforce then that John isn't vaccinated. And, and this this mandate, one of the controversial things about this mandate is is sort of that intrusion into privacy, because it this mandate is saying to employees and employers to the employer, I have a right to know what your vaccination status is. Not only to the employer has a right to know, the, the, there's a requirement that sure. the employer know. And I'm unfamiliar of that ever happening right. as a condition of employment or, or at least as a condition of – really not a condition of employment, just of a, of, a, of a government regulation. I'm unaware of anything where you're required to, to ask these things. Yeah. And I hate to end on a negative note, but we didn't talk about the – you talked about the stick and the carrot. There are some serious consequences for not following these – this mandate by OSHA. And and so I mentioned – so how – it's up to like $13,000 per violation. And additional citations or penalties for willful or egregious failures to comply. Per violation, though. So per violation, and that per, could be, per employee. Right. So even if they're not wearing a mask, they're not getting tested regularly, that, that could rack up very fast. And so, you know, the employer might be sitting out there going, well, how the heck is OSHA ever going to find out? Well, you have re- very rigid reporting requirements. If one of your employees tests positive for COVID, you have to report that. If there's a fatality due to COVID in the workplace, you have to report that to OSHA. So they're going to come in and, like we mentioned, they're going to request to see your policies and procedures, which are due December 5th. And then they're going to want to see this 
this chart per se of who's vaccinated, who's not, when are they going to be tested? And and my presumption is that if you don't have that, they're going to assume that you violated it per each time. They could, they could. Another way that you know, many times in in typical workforce situation, OSHA is called by an existing employee to complain about a workplace safety issue. So you could have employees who feel very strongly about getting vaccinated. Or wearing a mask or, or wearing testing. A mask, or... And they see perhaps violations on behalf of employees or the employer. They can pick up the phone and call OSHA and actually report them. And that would be very easy for them to stay anonymous. Yes. And, and that, so that's another – it's very important for – for private employers to, to follow this. Now, you mentioned at the beginning of our episode that this has been challenged and it's been stayed here. Can you give us a little bit, and we don't have to jump a ton into it, but just kind of a little bit of, and I've been following it here in Louisiana and kind of across the country, it's being challenged. You know, I believe we're up to 26 states. Can you kind of give us a little bit of, of what's going on, where you think it's going to go, if it's going to make it to the Supreme Court, kind of a background on the, the challenges going on with this, or what what are the challenges? Yeah. So there's a number of, of, of courts of appeals. Fifth Circuit, as you mentioned, has stayed this enforcement. Um, there's a hearing on the permanent injunction coming up pretty soon in the Fifth Circuit. I think what's going to happen, Rory, is you're going to have a split in the circuits. The, maybe the more liberal circuit is going to rule that this mandate is enforceable and it's valid and it's constitutional. I Maybe the Fifth Circuit, which is a more conservative circuit, may upheld, may, may say, may continue to in, um, stay the enforcement. So you're going to have this conflict in the circuits. Well, that's exactly the kind of dispute that the U.S. Supreme Court would probably hear, and they'd have to hear it quickly. And while this is, and that's what I was going to say, is, is while this is going on, there's currently a stay. So what do we do here in Louisiana or for our Louisiana clients or anyone in the fifth circuit? Do we tell them or, you know, is it best practice to get prepared for this in case the stay is, is, is thrown out or, you know, what, what do we tell those? Because it's very confusing. You've got, you know, political reasons set aside. There's a lot of battles going on. There are a lot of battles. We're saying, we're telling the clients don't be lulled into a sense of false security thinking this is never going to be enforced because it could change in a day sure um so what we're telling clients is take this time to prepare use the stake to your to your to your benefit per se but still be cognizant of these deadlines you have a lot to do because if the stay is lifted osha is not going to have a lot of patience with companies that say oh well i wasn't ready when when it when when it was in force on november the 5th so it may not come to fruition but i think the safer course is to prepare as if it does and and wait to see what the court system does to be prepared and 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 like you mentioned earlier you know i think we are you know we're well versed in this we're we're ready to help out if anyone has any questions the big thing that you want to tell people kind of to wrap this up is if if they have questions comments concerns need help the big thing right now is you need to get these policies in place and we we're helping clients literally today 
sure. with their policies and procedures and to set up to meet these deadlines. Well, I think this has been super informative. I've had a lot of questions answered that, that, I, was, uh, that was, I was unaware of. And the next one we're going to do is we're going to talk about the, the healthcare one, which is it's probably even more complicated, but we're going to talk about that in, in our next podcast and then following that, the federal contractors. So, Chris, thank you so much for, for all this and for joining us. Uh, it's been great, and we'll, we'll see you on the next episode for Healthcare Workers. Look forward to it, Rory. Thank, thank you, everyone, for listening. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, all of our contact information is provided in the links below. Thank you for listening to Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. For more information or to contact us, please visit our website linked in the description below. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube linked in the description below. Thank you for listening.